Oh, good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Um, just to, to back up what uh, Graham's been saying, the Lord is working in amazing ways all around us, and we're not too aware of it sometimes. So, um, uh, he tells us in Ephesians that the Lord has given different parts to the ministry of His Word in the world. It's Ephesians 4. 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. The apostles were foundational. If you think of the image of the body, they're like the bones and the skeleton. The prophets were the communication systems equivalent to uh, the, the systems within the body, the messages that go from the brain to the different parts of the body. The prophets were God's spokesmen. Um, and then the evangelists are like the digestive systems of the body. Um, you, you eat food and the food is converted into energy. And God uses evangelists to bring people to himself. And we're really grateful to God for evangelists. Evangelists nowadays are like hen's teeth. You don't find a lot of them about. And, um, but we have an evangelist within our ken, Gordon Thompson. And everywhere Gordon goes, people get converted. You know? He had a mission two weeks ago in uh, Stranraer Baptist Church. And nine folk came to the Lord. Four of them from the same family. Um, this week and next week I'm going to have to speak about Old Testament characters I'm going to speak about Isaiah tonight uh, th- uh, this week I'll speak about Isaiah and next week I'll speak about Jeremiah um, which raises the whole question of uh, what is a prophet well uh, the prophets of God were given by God as his servants to build up the Old Testament body of Christ and uh, a prophet is first of all a man of value. Uh, the earliest title for prophets you'll find in First Samuel nine nine, uh, when uh, Saul and his servant are out looking for lost donkeys, <laughs> and they can't find them. And uh, Saul says, "You can just imagine him here." My father will stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about us. And uh, <laughs> and. Uh, his servant says, if you go into that town, there's a man of God there. And that's the title for the prophet. A man of God. Ah, that can mean two things. It can mean uh, a man who belongs to God. A man who is owned by God. An Ishelohim. A man of God. Uh, or else it can mean a man who has a godly character. Um, a man of God. So he's a valued man. And um, Samuel was one of these early prophets, um, and Elijah and Elisha were another two of these early prophets. Um, and the second title, the prophet's a man of vision. Uh, he's a man of value, he's a man of God, and he's a man of vision. He's either called a seer, uh, uh, somebody who sees things, it doesn't mean he's daft, uh, he sees things differently. From other people, he's a roe, is the Hebrew word for it, or else he's a chose. A chose means somebody who is a visionary, um, who has visions given by God to uh, equip him for the work that is done. He's a 
He's a man of vision. Um, a man with God's insight. Two men looked through prison bars. One saw dust. The other saw stars. Well, the prophet, if you like, saw the stars. They saw the, the wisdom and planning of God on the, the affairs of Israel in the Old Testament. They were men of, men of value, men of vision, and men of vocation. The most frequently used word uh, for prophet in the Old Testament is Navi, and there isn't really a Hebrew equivalent for it. We think it's an imported work from uh, Mesopotamia. Nabu in the Akkadian means to call, and it means one of two things. Either he's a called man, not mean he's, he's got you know, frostbite or anything like that, um, <laughs> he's a man called by God separated by God to do this work of prophecy or else he's a caller see well he called to men as someone who'd been called by God you know and uh, one of the favourite phrases of Elijah was as the God of Israel lives before whom I stand it literally is before the face of whom I stand and these these were people in close touch with God the prophets um, old Alexander White of Edinburgh eh, born of a, uh, an unmarried couple of parents became one of the greatest preachers in Edinburgh Free St George's and somebody said to him one day Dr White you preached this morning as if you had come straight from the presence of God he said so I did <laughs> and these men you know, they stood before their nation and they stood before kings and princes and potentates and spoke the word of God without shame. So that's an introduction. What is a prophet? Is a man is a man of value, is a man of vision, is a man of vocation. He's got this sense of God's call and who calls to people in the name of God. Amos, you know, I was a I was a a herdsman. He was uh, on the hills of Tekoa in the south of Judah and he was called to minister to the north of Israel. Um, I followed the flock, you know, but God called me from following the flock and he sent me uh, to declare to his people Israel uh, the, the, the word of the Lord. So these were the prophets. And we move right down, you come and you move on from these active prophets in the first phase to the writing prophets, one of whom was Isaiah. And when you look at the history of Israel without giving you a, a boring account at length of the history of Israel, then uh, these men were, there's one, one of the phrases written about them, they were gadflies to the state. You know how a horse gets fleas that, that annoy him? Well, these prophets were an annoyance eh, when they stood against the policies of their kings. And one of them was Isaiah. And he came to preach God's word from the, to the folk in the south in Judah. It's in the time of King Hezekiah, for example, he was there. And it was later on in the history of Israel. You probably know that um, after Saul and David and Solomon, the kingdom divided into two, north and south. The north bit was called Israel and the south bit was called Judah. And Isaiah was a prophet sent by God uh, to Judah. Um, to take his word 
some folk think he was uh, related to the kingly family in fact um, he was a, a well born man he was a city dweller he was, he was somebody who spent his time growing up in Jerusalem and he saw God at work during their history Israel was mainly it was a land bridge or a buffer state in other words it was a, a bridge that foreign armies marched over or else it was a buffer state between the large powers or else it was a political football booted about by the big powers and in the time of Isaiah the big power, the superpower was Assyria um, which occupied mainly what we, we would now call Iraq and, uh, and uh, he was sent by God uh, to be God's servant uh, in a period when uh, the Assyrians were breathing down their necks and uh, <coughs> and were uh, attacking Jerusalem in fact in fact in the, the Assyrian records uh, the king says uh, I, I shut up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage in Jerusalem and it's a marvellous narrative I was thinking last week it never occurred to me before what can a bird do when it's in a cage it can only sing <laughs> and he sung to God he prayed to God and God intervened and the Assyrians were surrounding Jerusalem and they, they disappeared they went away something happened various theories are produced one of them is that um, God sent a plague of uh, a disease to the Assyrian camp and one of the, the, one of the sayings says the mice ate the Assyrian bowstrings bow <laughs> uh, and the and, uh, Dr. Rendell Short says uh, what it was was the same as happened back in the time of the Philistines um, there was an outbreak of bubonic plague in the Assyrian army and they, they fled back home again to Assyria but I would like to read a passage to you from Isaiah chapter 6 <clears throat> this is the story of his commission his call this is really a, an inaugural call some folks see it as a second blessing but I take it that this is an inaugural call deliberately placed there because in the first five chapters Isaiah paints the awful scene of um, his own nation how they'd gone away from God and followed foreign, foreign worship and yet God called him and right bang in the middle of this earlier part of the, of the book of Isaiah it tells us about his commission in the year that King Isaiah died I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphs each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another an antiphonal chant the high churchman would say holy, holy, holy is the Lord 
Almighty, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Zavaos. Um, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And so he went. And he served God. Um, and he died a violent death, we think. Um, one of the rumors is that he was sawn in two in the reign of Manasseh. And he preached God's word. We don't have limited time tonight to talk about him. But uh, I would like to read one little section from chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verses 10 to 18, well, 10 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened beasts. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked of you this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. My soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. The Hebrew text is bloods, blood stains. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And then this wonderful invitation, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. It's a wee, it's a, wee a joke. Um, you will eat the best from the land, but if you resist and rebel, the sword will eat you. <laughs> Get it? Um, so, what kind of God is this he's talking about? Well, if you look at chapter 6, he's a holy God, isn't he? He's a king. And he's, in the vision he had, it was, a, it was an amazing vision because 
He was down in the dumpies, as we say. He was very upset because the vision came in the year that King Isaiah died. I saw the Lord. And Isaiah was a very stabilizing factor in the life of Judah. And he died. And you could put it as a headline for chapter 6 seeing God in a disappointment. You ever been disappointed? Sometimes we get disappointed, you know. And he, here he was in the year that King Isaiah died. You know, he, what's going to happen? This great king who reigned for so many years is dead. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What direction will we go in in the light of this terrible bereavement? He was disappointed. And a good place to go when you're disappointed is to go to God's house. And he went to God's house, the temple. And he saw God in a time of disappointment. Sometimes when we're disappointed, we go to God's house. And it alters our evaluation of our circumstances. Read Psalm 73. And he's moaning like mad in the first part of the psalm. And there's a hinge verse about halfway through the psalm. It says, then I went into the sanctuary. You know, and then everything came together. So what kind of God is he? Well, he's a, he's a kingly God. He's a holy God. And holiness, um, the, the word holy comes from a verb that means to cut or to sever. Uh, Kadash means to cut or to sever. And it means separation. And it's not just negative, it's not just separation from sin. It's, it's also got a positive dimension. It means separation to holiness. It's dedication to purity, as well as separation from sin. And uh, he has this vision of the holiness of God and the seraphim in their antiphonal chant saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth, or else, one of the other ways of translating it is say, His glory is the fullness of the whole earth. A vision of God's international holiness. And then he gives this invitation in chapter 1 which we read together, I'll just speak for a few minutes on it. What kind of God, what kind of God is it he worships? It's wonderful that there's an invitation. The Bible's full of invitations, isn't it? Remember the Lord Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Actually a verb, I will rest you. He says, I'll rest you. I'll, I'll give you relaxation. <laughs> I'll rest you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What kind of God is this? He's inviting us. He's inviting the nation through the prophet Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, God says. What's the first thing about him? He's a reasonable God. The God of the pagans... The gods of the pagans were fickle gods. You never knew what they were going to do or what to do to please them. You know, the whole, folk, the whole of religion was full of superstition. How are we going to please God? 
and uh, because the gods were fickle but the God of the Bible is a reasonable God there's an invitation to reason come now let us reason together and the glory is this uh, he's given us the power to reason he's given us the power to reason he's a worshipping being we're made to worship him we're made to realise that he's reasonable in his dealings with us there's the power to reason here God will listen to us if we come to him in all our needs Um, he's a worshipping being he wants us to worship him and there's a potential for reason here and this worshipping being calls us to reason each one of us is made in God's image and no matter how far away from God we've gone he wants to come and speak to us there's an old hymn that says deep in the human heart crushed by the tempter feelings lie buried which grace can restore touched by a loving hand wakened by kindness chords that were broken will vibrate once more the the potential to reason there's the partnership of reason God wants to get involved with us come now please come Nah, as the Hebrew uh, word, nah, 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 but nah means please, you know. God says, please, let's, let's get together. He wants us to have a personal experience of him. We're not animals. We're made in God's image, called to respond to God, called into relation to God. So here, what is, what is the first thing about God? He's a reasonable God. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. And we've all got this potential. It tells us in Genesis 2-7, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And that marks us out from the animals. We are people made in the image of God, meant to serve him and give our lives to Christ and belong to him and, and walk with him in holiness. What's the second thing about God? Well, he's a realistic God. You think of the world and the state that we're in now, the violence and the crime, all these children in these countries, they don't know who they are, where they are. But you know, the face of reality in our world today is ugly, it's awful, terrible. And the heart of reality is sin. You know, all over the world. Sin stalks us and it ruins our lives and it warps our character and it, it, it turns day into night in terms of treatment of others. You know, and you see, you see even what some of the religions of the world are saying. You know, how can you chop off somebody's hand for doing something or behead somebody in front of a television camera just to show it to the world? What a world we're living in. The heart of reality is human sin. And you can't even get around a table and talk to somebody and get things right. Or you can't... Uh, you can't really go and deal with this stuff because of the bitterness of human hearts these days. And the Bible's got a very rich vocabulary of sin. 
Sin is first of all deficiency. It's deviation as well as deficiency. And there's also disobedience because the most popular word for sin in the Old Testament in terms of usage is pesha, which means rebellion. Rebellion. Sin is rebellion. Sin is shaking your fist in God's face. Disobedience and defiance. We're mutineers on board God's ship. It's like what they said about Jesus at the crucifixion. We will not have this man to reign over us. And all over, all around in our communities, people are saying we don't want Jesus. We don't want God. We don't want the church. We don't want the Bible. That's sin. That's the real world in which we live. And the God when he wants to deal with us at the deepest level the God of the Bible says what about your sin come now let us reason together says the Lord Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red as crimson they shall be like wool and he says come on what about a bit of reality here and God says come on it's your sin is the problem it's your sin's a problem. He's a realistic God. And he wants to deal with our sin. How do I know? Well, we've got the Gospels. We've got the story of how the Lord Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. There was a song on Songs of Praise tonight and they missed out a verse. And it was a lovely verse. It was a verse I learned when I was a child in school assembly. It is a thing most wonderful Almost too wonderful to be that God's own son should come from heaven and die to save a child like me. There's a verse in it. I love it. This is theology. I sometimes think about the cross and close my eyes and try to see the cruel nails and crown of thorns and Jesus crucified for me, that's the gospel that's how God wants to deal with us he wants to deal with our sin how wonderful of God, come now let us reason together, says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool so what kind of God is he? well he's a reasonable God he's a realistic God, he, he deals with the reality of our sin in Christ and the third thing about him is a radical God. <laughs> There's a change and a relief beyond belief when you come to know God. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, it's a transformation from scarlet and crimson to snow and wool. There's a big contrast in that. Now the biblical Hebrew does not have a highly developed colour vocabulary but that's clear enough isn't it? <laughs> isn't it clear? Totally changed. With an old man called uh, John McConnell, we knew him, Gene and I knew him in his 90s and he was in his 90s and he was the man that held the horse's head, that pulled the cart on which D.L. Moody preached in Bardowie Street, Postle Park in 1874. <laughs> and he was just a wee boy holding the horse. And later on he became a Christian. You know what he said? He says, he says, my wife got a new man. 
my kids got a new feather my horse got a new mason because when he took it when he was in a bad mood he used to take it out on the horse punching the horse <laughs> and he said his horse was completely amazed that the owner had changed in his behaviour towards him <laughs> the horse kept looking at him he said he was totally changed a transformation beyond recognition you know and uh, it's just wonderful that your sins though they are red as crimson they shall be like wool though they are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow and uh, I was at a Billy Graham meeting the Billy Graham organisation are planning a Falkirk initiative next year and Billy Graham's grandson's preacher <laughs> and ne- next year and I, I ran the Billy Graham live link in Portobello Town Hall with about 600 a night in Portobello Town Hall and a big art student a big handsome chap oh the girls liked him and uh, he liked the girls and I said to him he got converted and I said how do you feel Colin he says I said now that Jesus has saved you he says I feel clean wasn't that a wonderful description I feel clean he says because Jesus um, had cleansed them so I'm going to stop now but that gives you a wee insight into Isaiah um, and how God called him and he saw God in a disappointment and he recognised the majesty of God and the holiness of God and he brought God's word of invitation to people come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall be as wool let's pray together Lord, we thank you for your servants, the prophets. We thank you for modern day people who give themselves to you and give your word to the people. We thank you for Gordon Thompson. And we ask you, God, for your blessing and his ministry and all others like him that we know. And these uh, folk we've been hearing about who came to the Lord late in life and have been using up their energy and time to serve God. And we thank you for our time together and pray for your blessing this week for Jesus' sake. Amen.